0: Look at Grogu on the on the screen. Grogu in person. And if you are impressed that I know his name, you should be. He is actually not Baby Yoda. He is Grogu. Yeah. So we are in our series. This is the way where we are establishing foundation and direction as a church. So we started um, three weeks ago. I started by stating what our mission is: empowering people, fulfilling destiny, and leaving legacy. Are we gonna be okay? <laughs> I think he eventually goes to sleep. We'll just we'll let it do his thing for now. So this is the direction that we are going. Okay, this is how we are going to fulfill the Great Commission, right? Go therefore and disciple nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? That's the great commission. And so our mission is how we are going to fulfill that. And then Renee, a couple weeks ago, she started uh, teaching on what our values are. She taught on four of our values. A standard of excellence, a posture of serving, a focus on Jesus, and a culture of honor. And now for the next couple weeks, and we're going to take a pause in the next week. I'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, I'm going to talk on the last four values that we have. A heart for generations, a commitment to authenticity, a lifestyle of generosity, and a resolve for diversity. Now, it's important, and you may, you, may, you may or may not, but maybe some of you are asking why. Why are we going through values of our church and the mission and things like that? It's important that we teach on missions so that we all know where we're going as a church. And who we are. What is our church identity? It's important that we teach on our values because values guide our decisions. Values help us create culture for our church. Okay, culture is what we do. And who we are when we're not really thinking about it. You may not realize this, but every organization, every, every group, every unit has a culture. Whether it's your church, whether it's in the marketplace of a specific store, whether it's your neighborhood, your school, whether it's your home. You have a culture, okay? And some, sometimes culture is good and sometimes culture is bad. And cultures, you know, most of the time can be identified by just the, well, this is just what we do here right that's that's the culture okay so for example when there's conflict the resol- and there's going to be conflict because wherever there's people there's going to be conflict so when there is conflict the resolution to the conflict is guided by our values so conflict resolution will be handled with honor towards everyone for everyone involved and with authenticity not with masks and we want real we want authentic relationships so that's how conflict is going to be handled when we are creating or we are remodeling or we are launching a new ministry we're not going to do it on the cheap as cheap as possible because we have a standard of excellence when we serve when we give we won't come in at just enough well that's good enough because we have a lifestyle of generosity and we have a posture of serving in all situations. So when these things are done and they start happening without us actually thinking about it, without us thinking, okay, I need to, I need to have a lifestyle of generosity. I need to make sure I honor, I need to make sure that, that we are, but we have a resolve for diversity. When these things start happening without us consciously thinking about it, we will have established our church culture. And the culture of an organization is the hardest thing to create. It's the hardest thing to shift and to shape. But this is the way. It will take consistent effort. It's going to take communication. So this will not be the last time that you hear of these things. It's also going to take leadership and accountability. But we will stay on target. We will stay on task for what God has for us. And we will hold true to what we value. And we will see a healthy, growing church family. All right, a heart for generations. Family is God's idea. And we want to see it represented well in our church from all ages and stages, from natural families to spiritual ones. You need to know that you have a place here in this family. We are hardwired toward family. See, in the natural, we want to have a family to belong to. And even those that don't grow up with a family, they, they, they make choices and create a family of their choosing. This, oftentimes, many times, this is the power of street gangs. Because it's, it's you know, it's, it's a functional form of family, but it's a family, it's something to belong to, and it's a family of choosing. Spiritually, we've got this longing inside of us that desires for a spiritual family. Throughout the Bible, beginning to end, you read about the family of God. More so, it's specifically identified in the New Testament where every follower of Jesus belongs to this global and eternal family. But we also have a longing to be a part of a local church family. Not just a global family, but a local church family where we can know and be known. And I know some people are skeptical of the term family. Because our cultural model of family is damaged and it's broken and it's oftentimes very dysfunctional. Our cultural and societal example of family is often to, you know, um, um, defined by things like materialism, workaholism, divorce, selfishness, selfish ambition. What can I get out of it? What Are, are, are my needs being met? And many other problems, all that look nothing like the kingdom of God. And this produces orphans, natural orphans, and it produces spiritual orphans. People that are deeply wounded, and the church, we're not exempt from this. Many times, we have a collection of people, well, always, we are all broken on, you know, on some level, in some way, shape, or form. And we struggle We struggle with an orphan heart, an orphan mentality, and you see this. Because sometimes people will come into a church setting and situation and they will will work hard and they will serve hard. They will do, do, do all of these things just so that they can get love and acceptance and affirmation from their church family and the church leaders. The other side of that coin is sometimes people come in to the church family and they will say, well, I, I belong to that church. But they come in just as worship starts and they leave just as the amen happens and they don't actually connect with anybody in the church family because they're hurt, because they're wounded, because their walls are up, because they've been hurt by family. Sometimes that's church family that's hurt them and sometimes it's natural family that's hurt them. Right? They have resentment because of their past experiences. So I understand that the word and term family might be a trigger for some people but it's expressly spoken about and written about in the word of god so we will use the term family it's not okay that we've gotten it wrong it's not okay that as a church our church and the church global that we have wounded people and we have hurt people it's not okay but that doesn't mean we throw it out and we we're like and we we reject that. we we reject church we are the church is the bride of christ He loves us more than we will ever understand. So we cannot reject church and church family. We have to continue to learn to correct the error of our ways, to repent, to apologize, and to bring reconciliation, and to continue to work at creating a spiritual family, a healthy spiritual family, and to bring support to natural families. So what does a heart for generations look like in our church? It looks like an importance placed on children. I told you this was going to come back again. Not just having child care ministry, right? We're not just about having child care so that the adults can, can participate in the ministry and can participate you know, in, in worship and the kids are just being taken care of. But it's about having ministry for and to our children because there's no junior Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that lives in me and lives in you lives in our children, right? And so we need to empower them to walk in a Spirit-filled life. Our children are being taught how to hear the voice of Jesus and speak out what they hear. That's what's happening right now where your children are. They're being taught to lay hands on the sick, to believe for miracles, to see salvations. Kaylee, our kids' pastor is raising up and training powerful children in the ways of Jesus. Mark chapter 10 verses 13 through 16 says, And they were bringing children to him so that he could touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Allow the children to come to me. Do not forbid them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and he began blessing them and laying his hands on them. We have a lot to learn from children and their simple faith. As we get older, we just complicate things. And we muddy the waters. But if you watch children, it's simple. The kingdom of God isn't complicated It's very simple. God is complex, but the kingdom is simple. Children have an important place in this family. A heart for generations looks like creating space for students. These are teenagers. I just like to call them students. It's creating space for them to encounter Jesus and have a relationship with Him that is all their own. It's not, well, this is just how I grew up. This is just what my parents believe. I have no idea why we believe this or why we do this. It's a relationship with Jesus that is all their own. It's inviting them to speak into what happens in our church. From the style of things that happen to the events that happen. You may not realize it, But students have input to what we do and what things look like in our church. It's giving them space to be involved. And not just involved in the youth ministry. But it's involved in ministry on Sundays. I'm not sure if you realize, but we have students that run our live stream. We have students that help take up the offerings. They help help usher. They ush. Ushers are people and they ush. That's a verb. We have students that run our in-service media. We have students that help with kids' ministry, both in the preschool room and in the nursery, and upstairs with Kaylee teaching the children. We have students that are in process of being trained in worship ministry so that they can one day help lead us into places of worship. Stephanie, our youth pastor, is empowering students to follow Jesus and to have a relationship with Him that is all their own, not just because that's what my parents believe. You know, statistically speaking, if by the time a high school student is a sophomore, if they are not involved in Sunday church ministry, that when they graduate high school, they will leave the church. Students have a place in this family, a very important place. You know, we don't know the exact ages of Jesus' disciples, but scholars believe they ranged anywhere from age 13, which they believe was... was um, was John, John was the youngest, all the way up to 30. Jesus picked teenagers to invest in and released them to be the leaders of his church. So, if John was 13 when he was picked, John was 16 when Jesus died, and he was 16 when he became an apostle, just let that sit for a minute. They are not future leaders. They are leaders. A Heart for Generations looks like having a wide range of ages on our leadership teams. Our, our church elder board has, has a, a range, an age range from in the 30s to in the 60s. We have, we have empty nesters. We have uh, retired people. We have parents of young children. That just happens to be the same person, which is okay. Shout out to Jim and Vicki, right? We also have... Parents of students and young adults on our church board leadership team. We, we have, you know, um, compared to other uh, ministries, we have a young pastoral staff. I, I'm, the, I'm the oldest at 45. We have a young pastoral staff. And, you know, on our pastoral staff, we have everything uh, from parents with infants to parents with young adults, teenagers and children and we've got married couples, and we have single people. Heart for generations looks like there isn't an age or a stage of life where you are not valued and where you are not needed. We need grandparents. We need grandparents in church on Sunday morning, right? We need infants and babies in church on Sunday morning. We need everything in between. And not just in the natural, but we need spiritual infants where we are seeing people that have never known Jesus come into relationship with Him. They're spiritual children and infants. And we also need the mature, spiritually mature, those who have walked with Jesus. These are the the mothers and the fathers of faith. Psalms chapter 68 and verse 6 says this, God makes a home for the lonely. Or in another translation, it says, God sets the lonely in families. Family is God's idea. And you, you have a place in this family. A heart for generations also means that we are creating a healthy, growing, spiritual family where we are focused on raising up healthy, mature, spiritual adults. See, this is God's plan for the church. It's a spiritual family. It's his plan for filling the earth and for ruling the earth and for leading cultures and societies. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule. Who is us? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is a family. And that's the image that we're made in. We were made and created to be in the image of family to establish his rule on the earth. His kingdom come Through families. We have been given the mandate to redeem family by discipling nations and teaching them the ways of Jesus. This is the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. When you read through the New Testament and you read the writings of Paul, when Paul wrote letters to people, he tirelessly built the church into a family structure. Let me read some scriptures for you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, this is verses 7 and 8 and 11 and 12. He says, but we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. In the same way, we had a fond affection for you and we're delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our lives because you become very dear to us. You know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. First Corinthians chapter 4, verses 15 through 17 says, "For if you were to have countless tutors or teachers, right in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel." He says, "Therefore I urge you, be imitators of me, for this reason I have sent you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere." In every church, the last one, Second Timothy two two. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. This is Paul writing to Timothy, Paul, the, his his spiritual father, writing to his spiritual son, and Paul, Timoth- Paul is telling Timothy to now raise up fathers and mothers who will continue to pass on the teachings of Jesus that Paul taught. This is a family structure in the church. A Heart for Generations is about raising mature, healthy adults with unconditional love and acceptance. Without control, without manipulation, and without strings. It's about sharing life together. It's not just about sharing teachings from the Word, which we know is, 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 is important. But Paul said you could have many teachers and tutors, but you don't have many fathers. It's about sharing life. It's about equipping. It's about empowering. It's about releasing people as they grow and mature. It's, not, it's about not holding on to people and holding them back just because we like to have them close. That's dysfunctional and weird if you think about it in the natural. If your parents never left, let you leave your house growing up because they just wanted to have you close. There comes a time when you grow up and you move away and you start a family of your own. And that gets celebrated. You know, it sometimes means correction. But correction is always done in love. And it's done without shaming. Heart for generations celebrates babies, natural babies, new new people who start following the Lord Jesus. And it also celebrates growth and maturity. Because true family isn't focused solely on having children. It's about raising healthy, mature adults. And the natural parents, that's your job. Your job is not to have endless babies, your job is to raise healthy, mature adults. It's a heart for generations. We also have a commitment to authenticity. No one likes fake. No one likes imitation. We want what's real. We want what's real in relationships with each other. And we want what's real in relationship with Jesus. Acts chapter 2 and verse 46 says this. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. The actual Greek word here for sincerity literally means to be without rock. Okay, it comes from the root word that means without a stone that's stubbing the foot. Okay, so they were meeting together and in their hearts there is no fear of stumbling or injury. That in their interactions with one another that there would not be the stubbing of the toe. You know, have you ever walked through your house and your toe pointed out the corner of something? That little pinky toe just happens to point out the corner of the sofa? That'll cripple you right there. Boom. I don't care how big you are, how strong, or how tough you are. You are down on the floor in fetal position, clutching that baby toe. The smallest member of your body. Sometimes causes the worst amount of pain. Right? So they were daily meeting and gathering together without fear or concern of stubbing the toe. So there's this, um, I'm not going to, don't take this as gospel because it's an old, but it's not. it's, It's an uncertain story about the source of the word sincere. So the ancient, this is how the story goes. The ancient Romans, they used to prize Greek sculptures for their aesthetic excellence. These incredible marble statues, right? The statues at this point were already a few centuries old. And however, some of them, they had cracks in the marble and places where the marble had fallen out, there was gaps, and so what vendors discovered, these who were, who were selling these, these sculptures, is that if they put wax in the sculptures where the cracks and the gaps were, if they filled it with wax, then the figures looked great for a season. Because the wax looked like real marble. It just blended in. But over time, the wax hardens, and it yellows, and it cracks, and it falls out. And it becomes apparent that the statue is not totally authentic. So if vendors, if they wanted to sell a statue and it was, it was all marble, it was, it was pure marble, the real deal through and through, they would mark sign, which is the Latin word. I'm probably mispronouncing it, but bear with me. It's the Latin word for without. And then they would also mark it the word for wax. Sign serra, without wax. Sincere, without wax. We need to be a church. That's sincera, without wax. A place where, Pete, where, where, where it's okay, to, it's, it's not just okay to have cracks and gaps, but where it's okay to talk about the cracks and the gaps in your life. A community, where people know that we will walk with them as Jesus fills the cracks and the gaps. Where we don't have to try and make everything look okay by putting wax in all of those spaces and all the, the hurts and the wounds and the cracks and the, and, the, and the injuries. But where we allow Jesus to minister because when Jesus fills a crack and a gap, he doesn't fill it with wax, he fills it with marble. That's redemption. Redemption. We need to be a community where we don't throw out the pat answer to people's problems. Well, God is good. He is the Lord of the valley, just as He is on the mountain. We have these pat answers that we will throw out to people when they're going through difficult circumstances. And it's not that they're not true. But I mean, if you've ever been on the receiving end of a pat answer, when you're in the midst of it, man, you know, you really just want to... Hey, if we're being authentic, <laughs> right, just kind of choke them out. We need to be a community that doesn't have to know all the answers. Where we don't jump on people if they've got wrong beliefs about God or Scripture. Right, we'll pastor people through. We'll let Holy Spirit guide and correct. Right? It's not that we, I'm not saying that we don't believe in um in the truth of the scripture. But if someone comes in and, and they have inaccurate theology, you don't jump on them. We love them. We walk with them. We allow Holy Spirit to correct them and guide them as we open the scriptures. If They've got areas of sin. We don't just stand and point it out. I mean, but we cover them. We cover them with love. We cover them with honor. And we give space and room for Holy Spirit to speak and for Holy Spirit to correct because Holy Spirit's job is to convict, it's not mine and it's not yours. Now, this does not mean that we don't confront, but that confrontation happens through relationship. See, because confrontation without relationship is judgment. We talk about right; it's in our in our mission. The first part, of the first part of our mission, is empowering people. So, to the level that you empower, you must also confront. Because empowerment without confrontation is dysfunction. So if you, if you look at it like a scale of 1 to 10, if you empower people to the level of 10 and empower them to live their lives and their dreams and all that stuff, but you confront to a level of 5, guess what? You've got level 5 dysfunction. So to the level that you empower, you must also confront. And it's confronting. Because it takes authentic relationship. And it's not relationships where we put masks on and we, we tell everyone, hey, how you doing? I'm good. When underneath the mask, we are broken and we are cracked and we are hurting and we are wounded and we are suffering. The early church of Acts shared their lives with each other with sincerity. They dropped the masks. They were real. They were vulnerable. They were authentic. This is the only way we will experience family and have genuine relationships with one another. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. That's the New Living Translation. In the Passion, it says this, let the inner movement of your heart always be to love one another and never play the role of an actor wearing a mask. you know, when the mask mandates came and everybody was freaking out about wearing masks, we, you know, tongue-in-cheek said, well, I don't know why everybody at churches are freaking out about wearing masks. They've been wearing masks for decades. (laughs) He just couldn't see them. I can only be loved to the extent that I am known. I can't be fully loved unless I'm fully known. I can't be fully known unless I'm vulnerable and authentic. John Ortberg, excuse me, Ortberg, who's an author, he wrote this. If there ever was a true just-as-I-am church, if ever there were a community where everybody could bring all of their baggage and brokenness with them without neat and tidy happy endings just quite yet, if there ever was a group where everyone was loved and no one pretended, we could not make enough room inside that building. The world can spot a fake follower of Jesus a mile away. You're not fooling anyone. When we put our masks on, we don't actually fool anyone except ourselves. We think we're really good at hiding it, but everybody sees through the mask. And we all just wonder why you won't be real. I know why we won't be real sometimes because it's an issue of trust. Right? Sometimes I'll I'll float a little bit of this part of my life out there just a little bit. I want to see if you, can I trust you? Can you handle that? What are you going to do with, with this part of my life? I had a friend when we moved to Toronto. He wasn't a friend. We became, and we still are very, very good friends. I'd only been there maybe a couple months, and he said to me, he's like, hey, I want to take you out for breakfast. And when we went out for breakfast, he said, I'm going to tell you my story, all the parts, all the, all the messy parts, all of it, He says, I'm going to be vulnerable before you because I want to show you that I love you and that I trust you. And I'm giving you power in my life because you will know all of my stuff. And that was the starting place. That was the foundation for one of the greatest friendships that I've ever had. I've never had anybody say anything like that or approach it like that to me. And it really shifted the way that I saw authenticity and vulnerability. See, that's the church that I want us to be. That's, that's the church family that I want us to be. Where we value authenticity in relationships. Listen, we, we as your pastors are committed to modeling this and fostering a culture of authentic relationships. Listen, we are also committed to an authentic relationship with Jesus. Man, I long, I long for experiences and encounters with the presence of God knowing the Father as, as the Father and giving Him space to move in my life, giving Him space to move in our church, the moving and the flowing of the Holy Spirit. Listen, God, this is heavy revelation. If, you write, if you're taking notes, you're going to want to write this down, okay? God is God. God is God. And I have no intention... Of telling him what he can and cannot do. So you don't bring a lion into your church service and say, okay, you sit down right there and be a good little kitty. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus is the king of kings. And he can do whatever it is that he would like to do. We will create an atmosphere of pursuing his presence that is not hype. And that is not super spiritual. This does not mean that we will understand everything that takes place. <laughs> and I know that that is difficult for some people. And if that's difficult for you, you have an issue with control. Because when you don't understand, you don't have control. And you don't like to feel like you're out of control. But if there's one person that you can't control, it's Jesus. Jesus. And so there will be times when we do not understand what it is that God is doing and what it is that God is saying. And that's okay. There will be times, there may be times, when things get a little weird. And that's okay. Do you know why it's okay? Because this is a little weird. If you've read the stories in this book, it gets a little weird. And if you're like, I haven't read anything weird, then then you haven't moved past Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Because from beginning to end, there's weird stuff in here. So it's okay if things get a little weird. But things will not get weird for weird's sake. We will not be the church of weirdness just so that we can be different and weird. If it's going to be weird, it's going to be the Jesus kind of weird. not saying that there's not going to be emotional responses to what Holy Spirit is doing because when God shows up and he decides that he is going to pour his presence out on you he is going to allow your physical body to encounter the felt the manifest felt presence of, of him your body will react your emotions will will react but you are not three separate you know entities so to speak right You are you are one, but there's three parts body, soul, and spirit. So when God shows up and does something in your spirit or in your soul, there is a very good possibility something will happen in your body. You may cry, you may fall, you may laugh, you may like like and and here's the other thing. We're not gonna put boxes and say, okay, that's how you move God in that that box right there. Not outside of that, because I don't I don't know that. I actively pray and prayed even this morning in pre-service prayer, God smash the boxes that we have built where we say, this is how you move, and this is what it looks like. See, I'm not afraid to pastor this church through a move of God where we don't understand everything. We will pastor the church. We will pastor people. And there there may be times when we have to pull someone aside and through authentic relationship and loving confrontation, we might just have to say, hey, you're getting a little extreme. You're drawing attention to yourself. It's now, all, it's now about you, and it's no longer about Jesus. But we won't shut the whole thing down because of one thing. We will stay biblical. We will also stay passionate. And we will also hunger for more of Jesus, whatever it looks like, sounds like, feels like without ever quenching the Holy Spirit. We have a commitment to authenticity in relationships with each other and with Jesus. And sometimes sometimes things are going to get a little messy. That's okay. Because together, we will walk it out. And together, we will clean it up. And together, we will keep going. People are messy, and so we can't expect things not to get messy in church family life. Let's pray. Father, these are things that I value in my life. And these are things that I know that I also don't always get right. God, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would help us. Teach us how to do family. Teach us how to be a family and not a dysfunctional family, but a healthy, growing family. Teach us how to support and help natural families. We want everything that you have for us. I want to know my church family, and I want my church family to know me so that I can love them and they can love me and we can love one another. God, that there would be an atmosphere of trust in this place where people feel safe to drop down the guard, take down the wall, take off the mask, and be authentic and vulnerable with one another. Help us to create that space. We trust you. I trust you in where you're leading us. And I lean on you for you to empower us to step into our identity as a church family and to fulfill the mission that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.